$19.95 for a two-day shipping, and it'll get there by Friday. Uh, the, the customer talked to the postal worker and said, well, the package really doesn't have to get there by Saturday. Is there any way that can happen? And the postal worker said, sure, bring the package back tomorrow. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. There is only one way, though, in God to reach heaven and to get salvation and that is through Jesus the door. Jesus is the only way that we are able to access the grace of God and eternal life. It's available to us and like any other entrance though however we must receive the invitation and walk through in faith. Will you pray with me? Jesus thank you Thank you so much for making a way for us to experience eternal life. Give us the faith to step through that door and to enter into your peace and your rest. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Welcome, church. So glad that you're here this Lord's Day. We are in the third week of the study in which we're in, a four-week series, and you saw in his words letting Jesus speak for himself. Uh, you remember the first week as we talked about the I am statements that are recorded in the book of John. The first week was I am the bread of life. Last week we looked at the I am the light of the world. These are not just statements about Christ's nature. It's more than that. It's about the impact that he has on our lives when we follow him and today's a whopper. Today's a big one, and the statement is in John 10, 9. Jesus proclaims, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. In response to this quote that we have just given from the Scripture, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a, a famous pastor from a generation gone by, said this, Christ tells us that the only way to enter the church is through himself. He is the door, the only door. There is no other mode of admission into the church but through himself. Now that statement stands in sharp contrast to the world and the culture in the way that they would have us believe there are infinite ways to reach heaven. You've seen those stickers on the back of cars with all the different religious symbols that try to indicate to you that we can just get along and wind up in the same space. We'd like to think we could be good enough. We'd like to think we could just show up and volunteer enough and, and say enough and do enough that would make us available to God because of our goodness, but that's not it. In fact, we learn in the Bible that we are only saved through grace, right? Through grace alone. Grace in Jesus Christ and not through our own efforts. As we read in Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 9, for it is by grace that you are saved through faith that not of yourselves, it isn't from you. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For some, that's a breath of fresh air. But for others, it's a difficult truth to swallow because they thought they could save themselves. I don't know where you find yourself today, but let's open our minds and let's open our hearts 
and receive from Christ this message in the scripture and draw from it the lessons that he would have us know today. Three points that we'll look at during the service and to think about. And that's believing him and his promise to fulfill for us in opening a door, a gateway into eternal life. Number one, the invitation of Jesus. The invitation of Jesus. John chapter 10 verse 9. Let me look at that with you again as we read that from the scripture. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. When you read that invitation of Jesus found there in John chapter 10 verse 9. It's a profound and powerful message, I think, that speaks volumes about the nature of the relationship that you and I have with Christ. It's an open invitation. Whoever, anyone, if anyone will believe, they can come in. It's not limited to race. It's not limited to social status. It's not limited to class. It's not limited to even past sins. Anyone who comes to Christ freely and accepts who he is, can find grace in him. That is amazing. It's amazing. It was amazing to the Jews. They had a hard time believing it. That they didn't have to make us, who were Gentiles, become Jewish first. No, it's for anyone, the Bible says. It's a call to anybody who's willing to listen, to believe, and to step through that door of salvation. I think the metaphor of Jesus as a door or a gate, as it says in some of the translations, is certainly symbolic. Doors serve as what? Entry points. Ways to get in. Gateway that leads us from one place to another. I think in the context, Jesus being a door leads us from a life of sin and separation from God to a life of what? Grace. I think to a life of forgiveness a life of eternal communion with our Heavenly Father. It's that promise that comes from accepting His invitation to whosoever will. However, the invitation of Jesus is not just about the promise of salvation. It's part of it. It's also about invitation to a new life. It's just not what we can get from Jesus. It's what Jesus now expects to live in us and give us a new life, a life of faith, a life of love, a life of service. Jesus invites us to partake, and by that, his mission. Behold, you will be witnesses. I will send you. You will partake in my mission to spread the good news of his love to all corners of the earth. That's what it says in Acts 1.8. Read with me. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the earth. You see in that the concentric circles. You start in Judea at home. You expand a little bit farther to Samaria, and then ultimately the uttermost parts of the earth. We always begin at home with the sharing of the message to the people nearest us because we want to see them in the same place we're going And we want them to receive the same thing we have, the grace, the love, the service. He invites us to be his hands and to be his feet. He invites us, the least of us who are brothers and sisters, to participate and to be a beacon, as we learned before, 
a beacon of light to the world that needs to know that they live in darkness. It's an invitation, I think, to a personal and intimate relationship. We get to know him in a different way, a way that no one ever knew God's. God's were scary in the Bible to people. They didn't know them, and that's God's with a little g, small g. Uh, The people who worship things, whether they were made by their hands or whether they were nature, were afraid of those things, and you could see it. But now he offers us to be friends, to be family, to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's an invitation to love him, to follow him. It's an invitation to experience his presence in our life, Christ in us. The Bible says we hear his voice. We hear his voice. He speaks to us. It's not like other religions where you wonder, you, a shot in the dark, you hope, you read their scriptures and you try to interpret what it says, but you're really left with not knowing for sure if you've heard from or will ever experience a personal word from this God you worship. But here it says we can. We can experience in our lives and get to feel the depths of love in our soul. We read the scripture and it says we can deepen our understanding. We can move from children to mature, the Bible says. We grow, we develop in Christ. It's a doorway, Jesus says. The word he uses is safe pasture. A place where we can rest from all the horrible things that we experience in the world. In him we find rest. These pastures that we experience in life aren't always easy to get there. It can be challenging uh, for some of us to leave our old ways behind, to pass up on what our life was and to embrace something new, to turn our back on our sin and to rely on his grace and surrender our lives and, and believe that he can help us to be persevering to help us to remain steadfast, to help us to endure. The Bible uses all of these words in our relationship with him, that we will be able to do that. We will endure in love and even face trials and tribulation. His invitation. I read a story about Bob Joff. He and his best friend Brandon were in Washington, D.C. And while they were there, they discovered that they were uh, around the Library of Congress, and when they were walking the streets, and if you've been to Washington, D.C., you understand what I'm talking about. You walk around to see all the different sites. Um, and as they walked, they discovered there by the Library of Congress, things had been blocked off. There were barricades and cars and lights and cameras. You know, oh, something must be happening. What's going on? And so when they got up to the barricades, they discovered that they were filming the, the movie National Treasure 2. Remember the movie National Treasure 2 with... With Gage, um, we, they said, we got excited and we thought, we have an idea. So they ran back to their hotel room and they changed out of their business suits that they ran for Washington, D.C. They put on T-shirts and jeans and ran back and they had a plan. They were going to sneak in on the set of National Treasure 2. And so they climbed through some bushes, got their way in, found a way and saw the sign that said set and, and began to walk with the crews as they walked in. They were stopped at the gate and they said, where are your badges? They didn't have a badge, and the guy that was there, he said, where are your crew badges? And, and then he mumbled something to his girlfriend next to him and said, these people, you, you know, I can't believe them. Next time, get your badges and let them on through. So the next thing we knew, we were inside the Library of Congress with all the millions of books at 2 a.m. in the middle of a movie. 
And it was exciting. And they thought, we snuck in. This is great. This is a memory we can always have. But then they had a problem. They had to get out. (laughs) How do we get out of this mess too? And so they turned the corner. And when they did, they saw Nicolas Cage and Diane Kruger rounding the corner with their entourage. And they just got in with them. And they walked right next to them. And they walked right out of the movie set. And he said, I'll never forget that. The ability to have that experience and be on the movie set, I was never invited to. (laughs) He said, I've not been invited to a lot of things. I wasn't invited to the Oscars. I haven't been invited to Paul McCartney's birthday. He said, "I, I wasn't invited to a space shuttle launch. And he said, I'm still waiting at the time, he said, for National Treasure 3 to invite me to come back on the set. But it wouldn't happen. He said, there's nothing like feeling included, but there's one invitation, he said, it would kill me to refuse, yet I'm tempted to turn it down all the time. He goes on to say, I I get the invitation every day when I wake up and actually live a life complete of complete engagement. To live a life where love does something to me. It's an invitation, he says, to actually live, to live differently. To fully participate in an amazing plan of God's offer of life. He says, nobody turns down the invitation to the White House. But yet, I have seen plenty of people turn down an invitation to fully live. Isn't it right? Isn't it true what he experienced? I think it is. He goes on to say, they, they don't think about their pain or weakness But when you finally accept that invitation, you don't think about your pain or weakness any longer. Instead, they think about how incredible and big life really is. Jesus wants you to come, whosoever will. No impediments, only an open message for us to experience more. There's more to life. The invitation of Jesus is a call of transformation it's a call to change it's a call the bible says to be born again it's a call not of flesh but of spirit it's a call to die to ourselves it's a call to live for christ it's a call to become that new creation a child of god a citizen to the kingdom and to leave behind an old way of life number two the necessity of faith That invitation leads us to something, faith, the necessity of it, the call of it. Faith here for you and for me is a cornerstone to that relationship with Jesus, faith in who he is. It's not mere acceptance of the existence of God. The Bible says that the demons know God exists, but they tremble with fear. They don't have that invitation. But you and I have to trust and have complete confidence in the invitation from God, that open invitation, the assurance that God is who he said he is, the one that will do what he promised for us. It's the kind of faith that Jesus talks about when we read that passage, I am the gate, whoever enters through will be saved. They will come in and out and go into pasture. It's the faith of salvation. Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, He will be saved. Hear those words again. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That says there's no other way. It's not possible. It has to be through him. Read earlier Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not works, lest any man should boast. Faith is necessary here. It's a necessity. It, it, it helps you to grow and transform spiritually. We have faith in Jesus. We open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit. When we have faith in Jesus, he empowers us. When we have faith in Jesus, he teaches us. When we have faith in Jesus, we grow we become more like Christ. We become more like th Christ through thoughts, through words, through deeds. All of that happens when we have faith in Jesus. Faith is necessary. It's necessary for overcoming challenges of life that we believe it's even possible that life, because of its ups and downs, because of the turmoil that we go through, that faith in Jesus can help us to face those challenges, the turmoils with courage. And with hope, faith gives us the assurance that God is in every situation and that God can overcome our difficulties when we have faith in him. It's a necessity. Mary, the mother of Jesus, proclaimed her faith in Luke 1, 37, when she said, nothing is impossible with God. We should tattoo that on our hearts, shouldn't we? Nothing is impossible with God. I can't be happy. Nothing is impossible with God. I can't forget. Nothing is impossible with God. I, I can't be strong enough. Nothing is impossible with God. That's the necessity of faith. In the words of the Christian theologian Augustine of Hippo, faith is to believe what you do not see, the reward of this faith is to see what you believe. Quotes very much like Hebrews 11.1. 1. It beautifully, I think, encapsulate, encapsulates the essence of faith, what faith really is. Faith is believing in the unseen and the promises of God. I don't have it yet, but I believe God will bring it because he said he will do it in his word. It's the reward, the fulfillment of what he offers us. I think the necessity of faith in the life of the Christian cannot be overstated. It is the bedrock. It's the foundation upon which we build our life. If we do not have faith in God, if we don't have hope, we're, we're like everybody else. We're dismayed. But with Jesus, he, the key to our salvation, means that we can overcome. We can grow. We can be different. Jesus is the way, the only way, the truth and the life. The pathway through him is not possible without faith in him. Faith is sort of like, again, going to the post office. Whenever I mail a letter, I exhibit a certain amount of trust, don't I? I, I, I believe that if I want my letter to get to my granddaughter in Texas... I have to trust the post office. I need their help to get it done. But to get it done, I have to let go of the letter. I have to hand it to the postmaster at the desk or I have to drop it in the box somewhere. I have to let go of the letter and trust that they will deliver it. 
I have to trust the postal service to get to my granddaughter. Although I can't see when it happens. I don't know where they delivered. I don't know the truck they use. I don't know the process, if it's a train, if it's an airplane. I have no clue. I just trust them to do what they said they will do. Their service is good, and my letter gets there. I think that's an example of faith and trust. Whenever we're faced with a problem, I think faith is challenged. Knowing I can't resolve it, I come to Christ. Knowing that I I can't do things by myself, I come to him and I go through him through prayer and he changes who I am. He changes the things around me. Again, Hebrews, the evidence of things not seen. That is the assurance of his work that he will get it done. I trust God to deliver the mail, if you were, on his promise. I will do what I said. If you believe in me, I will save you to eternal life. Number three, the promise of salvation. When Jesus said the words, I am the door, if anyone enters by me, will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. When he said those words, he essentially is offering a promise of salvation to anyone who believes in him. That's what it means. It's not difficult. Salvation is not difficult to understand. It may be difficult to believe that it's possible through that simple act of belief to come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, but yet it's the promise that he gives. Promise not just about eternal life. The Bible also says he offers us what? An abundant life here. I've come that you might have life and what? More abundantly, full, overflowing life. The phrase, we'll go in and out and find pasture, I think is another metaphor that illustrates Jesus' freedom and sustenance that comes from accepting him. The idea of pasture is that there's something there for the sheep to eat, that there's some place there for the sheep to rest, there's some place for the sheep to be protected, and that's who we are. In the context, we're completely dependent upon the shepherd, aren't we? We trust him to give us what we need, a place to rest, a pasture. And that day, the shepherds would lead them to a green pasture. They would find feed. They would find rest. They would find water. And Jesus is that good shepherd. We read Psalm 23, and we see that. He's the one that goes before. He's the one that's behind, to the right, to the left. He guards us completely in that psalm and leads us to pasture. The promise of salvation is not just for a select few. If you were raised a Jew in the time that Jesus lived, that's what they thought. They were, the, they were the people chosen. They were the ones that had salvation. And everybody else was lost. Everybody else was not chosen. But we read the scripture and we dis- discover that anyone who chooses to enter through that door, regardless of their past, regardless of their failures, regardless of their shortcomings, is allowed to enter in because they believe in Jesus. It's a testament to God's infinite grace that he would offer such an open invitation, but he does it through the work of his son, not through our work. I think it's an important note. The promise does require action on our part. A conscious decision to choose 
to follow Jesus through that door. I love the picture that you've seen probably. It's the picture of Jesus knocking at the door from the book of Revelation. He's knocking at the door. And if you look at that picture of Jesus knocking at the door, there's no handle on the outside of the door in that picture. It has to be opened from the inside. And that's a spiritual truth in that picture. The door has to be opened on your side. Jesus does not knock the door in. He doesn't kick the door into your life and force you to be saved. He offers you the opportunity and gives you a chance to walk in through the gate, the door. But you must make that conscious decision to choose life. I think the offer of salvation for us becomes a beacon of hope. Not just a light to everybody else who comes to know Jesus, Savior, and Lord, that we open the door to show him who he is, but it becomes a beacon of hope and hope in our life because of the uncertainty that this life has. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know who will change my future when I face him and open myself up to him. He's a Savior who overcomes the world and offers us a chance, the Bible says, to victory he has overcome the world and we can overcome the world too through jesus we read the second corinthians 4 16 through 18 passage as the apostle paul says these words therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes on what is seen but what is unseen since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal years ago i read in reader's digest story about harvey pinnock he was a 90 year old golfer and he he wrote a book and in that book it was called Harvey Pinnock's Little Red Book. At the time, he had, hold, he had sold over a million copies of the book. It was published, and it was just amazing. People looked at the quips and the ideas in it and, and were just encapsulated in this world of Harvey Pinnock of thoughts and joy and peace, and people just ate it up. People came to him later to write another book, and he wrote one, and If You Play Golf, You're My Friend was the name of that book. It had sold at that time over three quarter of a million books. He was an author, and yet he didn't really start out to be an author. If you knew the man, the the story said in 1920, Pinnock started in a red spiral book writing down things that he thought about while he played golf. He never showed it to anybody until he showed it to his son in 1991. And his son was so taken by the little red spiral notebook that his father had written all these little sayings and thoughts and expressions in that he took it to the publisher, Simon & Schuster. And after reading it, they offered him $90,000 to publish the book. And so his son came to his father, Paul, and, and, and Harvey looked at what his son had to say about it and he thought about it but he was troubled and he really wasn't sure and said how can you not be sure and finally harvey came clean and said well you know we've got these medical bills and there's no way i can 
forward to Simon and Schuster $90,000. Dad, you don't understand. They want to pay you $90,000. They want to give it to you. I think that's the reaction some people have with the promise of Christ. It's too good to be true. We hear that and we surely think, no, I must have to do something. What you have to do is believe in who Jesus is. Just receive. When I look at this, I come to the place where I say I have to stay fixed on Jesus. I keep my eyes on him, as we read earlier. The world distracts me. Every season of life distracts me. Something else comes up. I went home over the weekend. Over the weekend as I was messing with the dryer and pulling out, you know, fluff in the vents and everything. At some point, I turned the dryer back on and I heard a sound that I hadn't heard before. And I'm going, oh my. Surely, you know, hopefully it was just the lint going through or something. But I ran the dryer a couple more times listening for it to fail, right? I mean, that's what I expected. I came in and my daughter said, Dad, you need to look at the fence in the backyard. And sure enough, I looked at the fence. I couldn't see the other side of the fence because we've got the good side facing us. And the other side's, you know, where it is in the neighbor's yard. And as I look at it, it's deteriorating. And I had to address that part of that fence and try to do something with it. And I came in the house and, you know, uh, you begin to look at things and discover stuff. And go, you know, again, one more. Really? Doesn't life distract us? Doesn't a season of change come and grab our attention and make us feel like there's nothing for us? And yet, here's the door. The door to salvation, the door to peace, to go into pasture and rest in Jesus, eternal life. To know Jesus is to know goodness, is to know sweetness, is to know peace. In Psalm 23, I alluded to that earlier, here's what David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters, he restores my soul. If you need your soul restored today, receive the invitation of Jesus. Listen to the offer that he has, it requires faith, but it's a promise of salvation and a promise of rest. Maybe it's been a long time since you trusted Jesus with your life, or or maybe you've never placed your life in Jesus' hands. Today's an opportunity to do that, to step from this life of distractions into the pasture of peace. In his own words, here's what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you that you are the door, the way to eternal life. We step from this life through faith into a pasture of eternal rest. And Lord, we need it. This world wears us out. Lord, there are people here today that need that grace and peace and assurance. They need to be restored 
You promised to restore our souls. We ask that you would do that as we turn to you. I pray for people here today that need to trust you. Some need to believe in what you've said. Some need to re-believe in what you said. They don't need to be saved again. They're already saved. But they need to trust you again. Maybe life has hit them hard and they're uncertain. They have doubts. Would you give them a faith? Would you strengthen their faith? Would you help their unbelief that we read about in the Bible? It's not that we don't believe. It's our unbelief that sometimes strangles us. Lord, we look to you and ask you, the author and finisher of our faith, to help us in this moment to believe in you and what is possible. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.